0: All right. Thank you, E.W. You're welcome to come and decorate my house this week. I don't care if it's this week. I Christmas lights. I want? <laughs> no, not whatever you want. I would never give you that kind of freedom. Uh, anyways, I'm Pastor Dave Mitchell, and we welcome you to Elevation. We are in a great series, and you have this outline that's in your bullets, and We encourage you to have that in hand. There's a lot of material. We're not going to be able to cover all of it in every detail that we'd like to, but we'd love to... Put things in your hands that might be a a way to enrich your thinking about our vision statement, which is this. On the front colored portion of it says, Calvary seeks to be a church family that is better together, being changed by the gospel. And here in the bold print is our emphasis for today. To love like Jesus across all cultures and generations. We have taken three Sundays, this is the third Sunday, to work our way through those three statements, if you will, and today it is a love like Jesus across all cultures and generations. I was on the uh, internet this morning looking at some of the news uh, websites that are out there, this is one of the headlines that caught my attention in the news, in the secular news, after this election, can we still love our neighbors even if we are polar political opposites? uh... written by karen emmon she has written a book called listen and love and repeat listen and love repeat and uh... it was interesting to me that here is this woman i don't know what context she comes out of but that was what was on her heart this past week after the elections about a week or so ago can we still love our neighbors because we had already prepared we want to be people who love our neighbors and it comes out of the context where jesus christ is being challenged by the political powers of his day. You know, it's not unusual that there are political powers fighting against what might be the cause of Christ or some of the areas that we might believe in. It was true in Jesus' day as it is true for us today. Jesus had the scribes, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin. He had all these political powers that were trying to oppose him and what his message of the love of God was all about. So as a lawyer comes to him, A lawyer came to him not out of interest to really understand Jesus. A lawyer that came to him to test him, to challenge him, to see if he really believes what he believes, and to see if he can stand up for the truth, to trick him, to cause him to stumble in who he is and who he claims to be as the Messiah. So the lawyer says this. A lawyer stood up and put him to the test, not out of a desire to learn and grow, but out of to challenge and oppose And he said, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? How does it read? So this lawyer knew the law. He knew the truth. So he recites it back to Jesus. And he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, Jesus said, you've answered correctly. Do this, you'll live, you're right on. It's interesting that the lawyer, his problem was not that he didn't know the truth. His problem is that he didn't want to live the truth. And this morning we're going to emphasize living the truth, that we should love God. But most importantly, our emphasis today is to love our neighbor as ourselves. To love across, love like Jesus across all cultures and generations. It's not easy. When Jesus was gathered together hours before his death on the cross, Hours before he was whipped to a bloody mess, Jesus sat down with all of his disciples, and that would include Judas Iscariot, who then betrayed him. And Jesus said this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this will all men know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So all the great teaching that Jesus gave them, and that we should always believe what is true, but Jesus says they're not gonna know that you love them and that you're a follower of me by how much truth you can give them, by how you can out-argue them, how you can out-persuade them that you're right and they're wrong. Now, the, the standard of love that proves your mind mine is your capacity to love them as I've, and he didn't say this, but he could've, as I just love Judas, Who is going to betray me, and you probably don't know about that, men, but it's going to happen. But I just washed his feet. As I loved him, I want you to love those that oppose you, those that are difficult, those that are oppositional to you. I want you to love them. Some of the challenges that we have to overcome, some of the barriers are these. These are the things that Scripture tells us to overcome. And these passages, you can look up on your own, they teach us how to overcome these barriers, such as social class differences, where we might have grown up on the opposite sides of town. Ethnic or racial differences, where we relate to people who are different from us from a different background and history. Traditions, convictions, or opinions. We have a belief system. They have a belief system that is opposite of ours. Can we still love them in spite of the fact that their belief system is different from ours? God says, you better do that. That's my calling for you. Age differences. And as I've gotten older in life, I recognize some of those age differences are, are more stark and more poignant to me now. Last night I was watching uh, USC beat up on UCLA. Now some of you really love me and some of you hate me, so that's okay, I can, I can handle it. But it was a TV commercial, and maybe you saw it, it was on Xfinity, Xfinity TV, never heard of that TV before, but it was Xfinity TV commercial. And it begins with a scenario of a young girl tweeting, and a variety of young people tweeting these things. I'm entering into medieval times. I'm going off the grid. I'm entering into the gates of hell. That's what the commercial said. And then suddenly you sort of draw back in the storyline, and what this little girl was saying and her friends I'm going to grandma's house for Thanksgiving. She has no Wi-Fi, she has no TV. How can I make it through the day? And I thought this is the classic that those of us who are older and we kind of fumble with what is Spotify and what is Pandora. Oh, you're so out of touch. And those of us who are older and we see they're always on the phone, they're always looking like this in the restaurant and we can be so critical as old I'm an elderly guy now. As an elderly person, we can be so critical of people. And we see these age differences. Fortunately, the TV commercial comes all the way around. Grandma is also on Twitter (laughs) and saw the tweets. So she goes to the store and buys her Xfinity TV set and has it set up with Wi-Fi and everything. And they lived happily ever after. How can we endure Thanksgiving without Wi-Fi? In any case, that is reflective of some of the challenges we face today. We want to overcome those barriers. Sometimes God brings us opportunities spontaneously, other times we have to be intentional to go out of our way to reach them. Don's going to come up here and help us to understand some spontaneous opportunities to love like Jesus across all cultures. Let's welcome Matt as he comes on up here. Matt, welcome.
1: Yeah, you heard Luke chapter 10 quoted, those first few verses, 25, 26, 27. Turn in your Bibles or your phones and go a couple of verses down from there to Luke chapter 10, verse 30. Luke ten thirty. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Luke 10, 30. This is what it says, reading from the NASB version. Jesus replied and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. If you've ever kind of been around that geography, Jerusalem to Jericho, it's about a 3,000-foot elevation drop. So Jesus, he tells a story. So this guy's journeying down, and he fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, who was on a journey, came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt, what's your Bible say? Compassion or mercy. And he came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast, and he brought him to an inn, and took him, to care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii, which is about two days' worth of wages. And he gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Then Jesus poses this question, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? The lawyer, verse 37, said, The one who showed him mercy. It's interesting to note, the lawyer couldn't even get out the words, Samaritan. He didn't even want to usher those words out loud. He just said, uh, that guy. And then Jesus said to him at the end of verse 37, Go and do the same. Or go and do likewise. You probably are familiar with this story. It's one of the most famous parables in the Bible. But it's really incredible. I love that we just got to hear it out loud once again. Go and do the same as followers of Jesus. Let me modernize this parable just a little bit. And I know whenever you try to change a story into another story, there it kind of loses some uh, translation. But just go with me on this. Pretend that you rode your bike to church this morning. And you made your way down Tustin Avenue. And as you're passing Claim Jumper and Panda Express and Brugger's Bagels and Rubia. I'm getting hungry. <laughs> and you continue down Tustin. Like you're almost to the church, you're in cruise control, and then a bunch of guys jump out and they stop you in front of your bike, they beat you up, they take your bike, they storm away, and you're laying literally on the sidewalk, beat up, hurting, beginning to bleed, coming in and out of consciousness. You're in bad shape. This is you. Picture you. And then... You see your beloved, wonderful, senior pastor of the church that you love and attend, David Mitchell. (laughs) I've been looking forward to this part. Um, (laughs) David Mitchell is driving down Tessin Avenue on his way here to church. And he sees you, and you have this glimmer of hope over the physical pain you're experiencing. There's my senior pastor. He's going to help me. You kind of lift your head, and Dave just blows past you. (laughs) I mean, I'll put myself in the boat too. Then your wonderful reach pastor, the guy who's in charge of outreach at your church, Matt Doan, is walking. I don't know why I'm walking to church, but I'm walking down sidewalk and, and I see you. And then you're okay, well, Dave passed me, but Matt, nah, this is his job description. He's surely going to help me. And then you see me cross Tustin Avenue and walk on the other side of the street to pass you. What would you be feeling and experiencing at that moment? And then, you begin to hear wheels clicking on the sidewalk, and you kind of make out in your pain that it's a shopping cart. And you look up, and it's that homeless guy that you see over near the off-ramp to your house, the guy who's holding the sign, the guy that you're suspicious, because you once watched a documentary how those guys holding signs make $75,000 a year. And that guy rolls up to you in his cart, and he bends down, and he takes a towel from his cart and begins to wipe the blood around you, and he slowly lifts you up, and he takes some water and gives you water, and and then he slowly, when you're ready, picks you up, and you put your arm around him, and he walks you across the street when it's safe to Western Medical or Global Regional Hospital across the street. (laughs) And you walk into the ER, and he pulls out some money, and he tells the gal that's right there at the front window, he says, hey, this is the last money for my disability check for the month. And whatever copay this guy has or whatever it takes for him, will you take this as first payment to allow him to enter your ER? I'll be back tonight to see if he's okay. Can you imagine that really happened in our world? Can you imagine the whole ER talking? You've got, you got to hear this story. <laughs> this guy came in, he was in really bad shape, and guess who brought him in? And that's kind of the response of the lawyer and those that are hearing Jesus' story. This story would blow them away. It was a Samaritan, someone they hated, someone they would never want to have an interaction with. This is the hero of their story. I have this painting that a guy here at Calvary made. It's beautiful. It's the story of the good Samaritan. I don't know if you can see this from where you're sitting there's a glare or not now the good Samaritan story is a story of ethics right this is how we're called to live go and do the same and yet before we even get to the ethic of living out the Christian life we have to remember the gospel the good news of Jesus and so picture yourself in your sin in my sin we are the broken the battered person on the side of the road I've fallen and I can't get up because of our sin As we face a holy God, there's nothing we can do. We're dead in our sins, the Bible says. And then Jesus enters our world. He lives the life that none of us can live. And he offers us, in our broken state, a cup of water. A cup, Jesus says, of living water. He restores our soul. He heals us from sin and brokenness. He makes us a new person. This is the story of the gospel. This is Jesus. This is us. And then, out of that story, we are called and commissioned as followers of Jesus to be Good Samaritans, to look for and reach out to the broken and marginalized around us. Now, the story of the guy, the Good Samaritan, he wasn't planning to help anyone that day, it wasn't on his to do list. But then opportunity was presented for him, and he took advantage of it. What type of opportunities do we have, and will we take advantage of responding in a similar fashion? So as we are saved and made new, we become a good Samaritan, offering not eternal life to people, but a glimpse, an example of what Jesus can offer them. And then sometimes we're just the donkey (laughs) off to the side. At least I feel like a donkey sometimes. (laughs) So this is our story. If you look in your notes, go to page two of your uh, booklet if you don't have it open yet. What do we learn about love as, as we con- reflect on this story? Well, one, we, re- we see that love reaches out to those in need, those that are overlooked, the marginalized. We live in a culture, and I don't have to convince you of this, we live in a culture and society that pushes people out. That says, I don't have time for you. You're too inconvenient for me. I have more important things to do. As followers of Jesus, we can live countercultural By noticing those that no one else notices. By stopping for the opportunities that present themselves and <laughs> responding to them. When 9 out of 10 people would find a reason not to. It's a beautiful countercultural calling that we have as believers. And love recognizes opportunities like this to bless. We jump at them. Neighbor Good was amazing yesterday. We said, you know what, we want to just be a place that reaches out to our neighbors and shows them unconditional love because we're doing life together. We live in the same geographical, geography, geographical area. <laughs> My coffee's worn off. I got this email last night from someone that was served yesterday. said, hey, thank you so much for all that was given to me on my family today. My car was decked out as a Christmas tree with all sorts of little lights on my dashboard before I got here. Calvary is sending me home with no lights on my dashboard. Warning lights, I mean. My car is vacuumed and washed. And while that was going on, we were handed brown bags of groceries, My son got a haircut and my mom got her blood pressure taken. Words fail me and I'm not used to taking in so much. Thank you, Calvary. Isn't that cool? That's what we get to be about as a church. But it's not always easy. It can be messy, it's uncomfortable, it's inconvenient, it can be costly. Can I just have a pastoral confession to you? Are you a safe group? Okay, some of you wave, nodded, so I'll take you, take you up on that. I'm the outreach pastor, so I should be leading the example of this. But I am still very much in progress when it comes to living out Jesus' words. Go and do the same. Friday night, we were setting up for yesterday, the neighborhood good. So Friday night, there were some of us setting up. And the night was ending. I was tired, and I was walking out to my car, ready to go home. And a homeless guy just came out here on the Wellington parking lot and said, Hey, um, do you have like a blanket or anything I can use? I'm really cold. I'm tired. It's 11 o'clock at night. I want to go home. And I thought about the fact that I had a nice warm jacket on that I could give him. But you guys, pastoral confession, I just got that jacket two weeks ago. And I really like it. (laughs) And I didn't want to give it to him. He needed something. And I didn't want to give him what I had. And I didn't. <laughs> this is just super raw to you right now. I got in my warm car, and I drove home and sat in my warm house. We all, in a sense, have jackets we don't want to give up, huh? Things in our lives that, ooh, I don't know about that. That would make my life harder or more difficult or messy. And yet, Jesus says, go and do the same. But here's the encouraging part. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit in you. I have the Holy Spirit in me to give us the power to love like Jesus when we don't feel like it. When it's not convenient, when it's super busy, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us giving us the strength and power to live this life. So a vision statement, a vision is somewhere where, hey, I'm not here yet, but I want to be there. And this is our vision for Calvary. Where honestly, none of us are here. I am not here yet. I am not loving every generation and culture like I am called to live. But I want to be there. And the power of the Spirit will give us the strength to do it. Are you in? (laughs) This is what we're called to. Let me just even in a moment, I'm going to have Dave come back up, but I just want to pray. Let the Spirit just lead you right now. So let's just pray for a second. Father, I thank you for the wonderful story of the Good Samaritan. Thank you for creativity and using stories to help speak into our lives. Father, forgive me and forgive us when we run into those spots where it's just too difficult. (laughs) It's too messy, it's too crazy. I want my jacket. God, I pray in those moments, your Holy Spirit would take over my life and take over our lives and give us the ability to live out this new vision, to literally reach across generations and cultures, to reach people who no one else is looking after. No one else even has us on their radar. God, make us different. We pray this in
0: Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, Matt. Thanks for being so real. It's challenging. I was with uh, a member of our church here a while back, and it uh, came up on one of those off-ramps, or on-ramps, if you will. Off-ramp, I guess it was, and there was the guy with the sign and uh, I always feel guilty when I sit there and I don't want to make eye contact with them. You know how it is? Just kind of, oh, I should do something, but I don't feel like it because they're going to go buy some cigarettes with it or something like that or rationalize it. So I'm sitting with this guy who goes to our church, a real faithful, godly guy, and we pull up against this, the guy with the sign. Pulls out his wallet, gives him a $100 bill, and I just gagged. I thought, oh, how can you do that? We struggle with these things. We each are called in our own unique way to express our own variation of the kind of love that people need. And I don't know how it all plays out. I'm not going to pretend to understand it all, but it's it's messy, it's costly, it's confusing, and it can be heartbreaking at times. But I always maintain, if I'm going to err on any side, I'm going to err on the side of grace. And I don't always do it, but at least philosophically, I want to grow. I want to grow in that direction. Now, the reality is that Thanksgiving is this week and then Christmas holiday. So what's going to happen over the next six weeks or so is that many of us are going to be together with family members that, frankly, if they weren't blood relationships, you wouldn't want to hang out with them. Right? You all there? I'm not talking about my daughters. I'm certainly not talking about my wife. But we all have these other family members that sort of come with you when you get married. You do marry the family. And it's challenging. Because I've got people in my family and my extended family that I will be with, that I will be with here, I will be with there and everywhere. And they are polar opposites to what I believe in polar opposites to my personal convictions of holiness, that their standards of behavior is a complete opposite to everything I preach and believe. They know it, I know it, and I still am called to spend time loving them. It's hard. So we've got these opportunities that are intentional. Matt talks about the spontaneous. You're walking down the street and there's somebody all beat up. Well, those occasionally at the corner of the of the street or they're selling flowers, they got the cardboard signs. We have those occasional spontaneous opportunities. But also significant to you and me are those intentional times when I've got a plan ahead to express the love of Jesus across their culturally oriented lifestyle and their generation that may be very different than mine. So I want to talk about the intentional times. It comes out of Acts chapter 10. It's a great story, and I don't have time to develop the whole thing, but here's the sum of it. It's the story of Peter, a Jewish man, who was one of the great apostles of Christ, who really began the church in Acts chapter 2, preached to all of his Jewish family, all of his Jewish friends, and then in Acts chapter 10, God comes to Peter and gives him a vision about a bunch of animals that Jewish people are not supposed to eat and says, Peter, you may eat those animals now. What you used to call unholy, don't call it unholy anymore. It's wholly available to you. And now, Peter, I'm going to put you to the test. Because there's a guy that I need for you to go visit. And his name is Cornelius. He is a Gentile. He is a godly Gentile. He is a devout Gentile. But he doesn't really understand the fullness of the gospel that you have, Peter. So, Peter, I'm sending you to him. He's going to send somebody who's going to solicit you to come and visit him. In Peter's mind, he hates the Gentiles. He grew up with parents that would pound into his mind they are dirty dogs You never enter their homes, let alone eat with them. So Peter, all of his life, even as a follower of Jesus, he didn't have any time for Gentiles. They were a culture that was too different and too wrong for him. So in Acts 10, God unpacks this story of Peter going to see Cornelius. And it was just a mind-boggling experience of loving someone that was so opposite to himself much like you and I may have on Thursday of this week or Christmas day or tomorrow at work or in the classroom a professor, a student, a club where there are people that are polar opposites to everything you believe in everything that you wish for every desire of your heart they are an, an antagonist to you but God calls you but love them nevertheless. Here are some things that we learn from Peter's story. As he goes, Cornelius is praying. He prayerfully asks God, prepare our hearts. Help my heart to be open and receptive to this person that is about to come into my life. Because I can't do it on my own strength, as, as Matt was saying. It's the Spirit of God that begins to cause us to love people that are opposite to us. I love this quote that comes out of Barry Corey, the president of Biola. He's written a book called Love Kindness. I encourage you to get it, read it. It's a quick read, but powerful concepts. And here's one thing that he says. Living to be received focuses on how others respond to us. They're not always going to receive us. I'm not always received. By my own family who sees me as this preacher that is part of the family and believes these old-fashioned ideas and just doesn't get it today. So not always are they going to receive us this is narcissism if we just want them to receive us it's beyond our control we can't cause them to receive us living to be receivable is different he says it focuses on how we are open ourselves to new and sometimes uncomfortable ways for others to receive us whether they choose to or not this kindness and it's within our control it's being receivable by my kindness of love to someone I don't worry whether they receive me, but I want to be receivable so that through me they can receive Christ. It's a little bit like my dad used to teach me as I grew up. As a pastor, he would constantly, uh, I'd get the, the sermons at home more than I got the sermons on Sunday. And he says, David, there's a difference between your position of what you believe and your posture in how you express what you believe. Your position can remain rock solid and biblical and doctrinal and pure, but your posture has to be one of openness and receptivity, an ability to listen and to love and to humbly relate to people who may believe very different things than you believe, whose life may practice certain behaviors that are constantly irritating to you because you know that it's not God-honoring in its lifestyle. But I still call you to have a posture of love, Being receivable is a posture of kindness to those that we otherwise would not want to engage with. Prayerfully ask, God change my heart that I would be receivable with a posture of kindness. We need to learn to view others through the eyes of Christ. Because the Bible helps us to understand how we should love them. That's what happens here. In the vision God gave to Peter, Peter, you no longer should look at them the way you used to. You need to change your perspective and see them differently. So as you do that, you, then you are ready to get up and go. He says, be ready to get up and go when God offers you this opportunity. I love these verses that is found in Acts 10, verses 19 and 20. It says, while Peter was reflecting on the vision, the Spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. These three men are going to bring him to Cornelius' house. And then it says in verse 20, but get up and go downstairs and accompany them without misgivings, for I've sent them myself. There becomes a point in my life when I have to intentionally love some people that are opposite and even antagonistic or even my enemies who have done terrible things that hurt me that I say I can never forgive. And then God says, no, 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 you got it wrong. Because I want you to get up and go to someone as Peter goes to Cornelius who has always been his enemy, who was never culturally relevant to anything Peter grew up with, who was a polar opposite to everything he believed in, who grew up thinking of him as a dirty dog of a person. Now, I want you to get up and go to them. Go to Cornelius and love him. Give him the message I've given to you. Give him the love I've given to you. As I've loved you, Peter, you go love him. That's my invitation. That's my command. It's interesting, yesterday on the... uh, Uh, neighbor good day. It was so terrific to see everybody working bikes and cars and haircuts and all that kind of stuff. One of the things I noticed that in the patio about lunchtime, of course, we had our Spanish-speaking church that was out there communicating in Spanish for those folks that needed that. Then we had our Chinese. We have a Mandarin-speaking service that's here. They're meeting right now over in Fellowship Hall. Andy Chow is their pastor. Well, the Mandarin people brought in Chinese food just to give away around lunchtime. So they had trays and trays and trays, enough food to last a week. So they've given away all these uh, various items, uh, like chicken wings to folks that were come. Well, interestingly enough, every Saturday morning, Helen Weed leads a, uh, an orchestra, if you will. Uh, they're young children who are learning to play the violin. Well, yesterday, they were here for a concert. So they're all dressed out in their very fancy black clothes, and they're in Sandswick Chapel across the courtyard, and they had their concert. Well, after the concert, they came out into the patio. And they saw Andy Chow and his Chinese congregation there with their Chinese food. And what's interesting to me is that most all of those who are part of that every Saturday concert and the Saturday yesterday are Chinese as well. So it's neat to see all these other Chinese guests who are on our campus who weren't here for neighborhood; They were simply here to watch their children play the violin as Andy and his congregation engaged in a loving way with them, some of which are speaking the Mandarin language. That was the language they grew up with. It was an opportunity God gives to us when we get up and go, as Andy and his crowd did, to reach those that otherwise would never have seen the love of Jesus here in that special way. We need to be honest and confess our own biases from past problems. I need to admit that, yeah, I've got a problem with this kind of a person, with this kind of an issue, with people that come out of this background. And that's what God does to Peter. He says, God has shown me that I should not call any man holy. God has commanded me, Peter, don't call these people unholy. That's not your calling. That's not your task. Peter, I expect you to come with a loving grace to them, not a standard of judgment and rebuke. I expect that to be your posture, be receivable. After I spoke about this in the first hour, I had a woman come to me. She said, my grandson comes to Calvary here, and my grandson has a friend that he will bring to Calvary as well. And she said, my grandson's friend has a mother that never wants him to go to a church like us. And she asked, well, why is that? Because this mom says they don't love people. And I don't want my son going to a church that doesn't love people. And it breaks my heart to realize there is a reputation that you come here and you won't be loved. Well, We're working hard on that. Not just us, it's just the church in general. Those who are claimed to be Christians. I want us to be the kind of people that say, honestly, honestly, I confess There are times I'm not as loving as I should be to people that God's called me to love, to people that God loves. In the way God loves me, I don't love them the same way he loved me. Even when I was a sinner, he died for me and loved me. I should love them the same as he loved me. And then we need to be humble and open and willing to listen to learn from them. So Peter goes to Cornelius and he says to these guys, so I ask, for what reason have you sent me? Why are we here? Let me hear from you. He says, I want to listen to where you're coming from, Cornelius, you and your friends. I want to understand what God has been doing or hasn't been doing. I just want to listen to you. So Peter comes and he asks the question, tell me, why have you sent for me? I want to grow in this understanding. I, I, I'm a little confused as to how I should respond but I'm willing to listen and hear you out. That's a beautiful place to be because I don't always understand what I should do and how I should say it, and I'll say it the wrong way. But God, I want to listen and learn. Yesterday, some of you may know, I'm on the board at Biola University, and yesterday I got a letter from Barry Corey, our president. And you may recall that this last year we had this challenge of this SB 1146, which was a uh, part of the legislature passing down this bill that would uh, really restrict religious freedom at schools like Biola, Westmont, and other schools like that, where the risk of use, losing Cal Grant money, which is in the hundreds of thousands of dollars, was occurring because of the stand that we have about you know, gay relationships and transgender and bathrooms and all that stuff that's been in the news. They're trying to impose a certain value system on schools like ours at Biola. Well, the head of that is a fellow by the name of Evan Lowe, who's a legislator, and here's what Barry wrote about Evan Lowe. California State Assemblyman Evan Lowe spent the afternoon of Wednesday, November the 2nd, here just just a couple weeks ago on Biola's campus. Lowe is an openly gay member of the California Assembly. He chairs the LGBT caucus of the state capitol and was one of the leading advocates for the proposed legislation of SB 1146. During his time on Biola's campus, Evan met with four administrators from admissions and student development staff, three faculty members, and four Biola students. These meetings were warm and I think quite productive in showing Evan that Biola is different than the stereotypes he had perhaps assumed. Following this time at Biola, Evan accompanied me to the San Marino for dinner at a home of a mutual friend, and over dinner we had frank and friendly discussions, debriefing his conversations on Biola's campus and discussing a way forward. Does it fix all the problems? No. But is it an expression of what we're talking about, of love and kindness to those who may oppose, and to those who even want to shut down Biola for their so-called bigoted points of view? It's an engagement. Barry spent that evening at that San Marino home. And it was a four-hour dinner and he says I even missed the seventh game of the World Series to spend <laughs> that's just another thing. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> but you get the idea of Barry expressing as a model for us with those that may oppose and be different, be awkward, be uncomfortable, but we go out of our way to be Christ in his love and his grace, to reach them. So we, look, we focus on the larger kingdom, what God has called us to do. There is no partiality, as Luke writes in Acts 10. Opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now. I get it now, God. Finally, you're getting through my thick skull that God is not one to show partiality from this segment to that segment to all the diverse populations and value systems that are in this world today. But in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. I get that now. I want to be part of that welcoming to God. The word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. Peter says, I want to be part of that because we've got people all around us that need Jesus Christ. Here we are at 1010 North Tustin. As you expand out, there are so many people, 1,740 people that are within this a quarter mile of who we are here in our location. And then we see that in one mile, there are 21,000 plus people that need Jesus Christ, that have very different value systems, that have no thought to the things we think about but that we want to reach them for Christ and be loving and kind to them. And there are 3.1 million in Orange County that need Jesus Christ and that there are 7.5 billion people that God shows no partiality to. And as he loved us, so we go out and we love them. There will be people who will criticize us, but we need to buckle up and keep going. I want to invite Josh Simpson to come on up here. We love Josh, one of our pastors here over our middle school. He's done a great job of helping us to reach beyond as well. Thank you for having me. Good to have you, Josh. Yeah. did a good job. I know you had a great opportunity to love like Jesus across generations. That's right. Tell us a little bit about that.
2: Yeah. So over the summer, we did a theme called Whale well Done, and it's the idea of being like whale well done, good and faithful servant. You're so clever with it. I know. So things. we had a big whale on there, and yeah. it was really fun and it hopefully relatable for students. But we went through uh, passages and scripture that talked about good and faithful servants throughout the Bible. So we talked about Peter. We talked about Paul. But we also talked about people just in our culture and in our world. So we talked about, like, D.L. Moody or Brother Lawrence, Billy Graham. But then I thought it would be so cool to have someone from our own church come and share with the students. Mm-hmm. So we invited Pastor Fred Morse All right. to come share with Pastor our students. Fred is, like, 85-ish. Something like that. Yeah. So he's like your older brother. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> um, but uh, so Fred has white hair and just, you know, he's a different generation, but it is so cool to have different generations come and be a part of our group and so he shared about how God was faithful to him. He had a rough past growing up but God was so faithful to Fred and then Fred in return was so faithful to follow God throughout almost his entire life and what a great example for our students. So he was a good and faithful servant so we loved having Fred share but the cool part is um, I just thought it would be neat to have them share. But yeah. months later, we did a, like a focus group of our middle school students. We wanted to know what they loved about our group. And several of them said they loved when Fred came and shared. So I wasn't really expecting mm. that. Yeah. And then even a few months ago, Courtney, my associate, took some girls out for, for coffee. And she said, what do you guys like about our group or what stood out? And they said, we loved when Fred shared. Huh. Um, they said they loved when Courtney and I teach. But they said it's so cool to have someone – outside of our group, come and share, and they just felt really cared for. So I love that there's wisdom that comes from different generations. Absolutely. And sometimes you think, oh, I don't relate if I don't fit in, but— they loved having Fred come, yeah. and that, that's not typical, but it was so cool. So yeah. we, we're better together. You
0: bridged across the generation. We gap. did. Amen. And, then, and your students, in during between in, hours.
2: In between services, we wanted to care for our church, and it's easy for middle school to be isolated over in the underground. So mm-hmm. we said, hey, let's serve donuts and coffee. So if you got here a little late, you missed out. I'm sorry. But we did have <laughs> donut holes and coffee. And we had middle school stu- excuse me middle school students serving um, the, yeah. the congregation. It all was just really people. cool. Yeah. All the old people. So, yeah. right. <laughs> no, It was great. So uh, we, we love being better together. And, mm-hmm. yeah, I think surprisingly that's what students want. Yeah. That's, that's we what we We want to bridge that. We doesn't need it doesn't matter what
0: age. Yeah. Thank you, Josh. You bet. Love Thank you. you. We appreciate all you do. Yeah. <laughs> There's Fred teaching over there. We want to bridge that gap. We want to build a church family that loves a cross regardless of the culture the convictions the opinions traditions orientation that you may have we are called to love them and regardless of your age old young or in between we are called to be a family that loves together so we invite you to be part of that we're gonna i'm gonna pray for in a moment and then the band's going to come up here and lead us in a time of worship but i want to invite you even as we express our worship we have the tables the communion the bread and the cup there are responses to this to say yes I want Jesus I want to remember Jesus that he sacrificed his life for me he loved me even when I was his enemy but he still loved me so the bread and the cup symbolizes that relationship of communion of believing in Jesus Christ and the offering are there the buckets are there for you to give if you would like to do that but one additional item we've got we have the prayer points we'd love to pray with you during this time but we also have over here on the plastic wall over there, it's lit up. Uh, we, many years ago, had this first wall put up, and people could write names or indicate people that they want to pray for. They want to love like Jesus to these people of a different culture, generation. We have put, Ryan put up a couple of more over there, and we invite you to come up during this worship time. And write down, maybe not the full name, and we don't want to create any embarrassment for anyone, but maybe it's some indication of a first name, initial, or some way to say, yes, this is someone I want to be praying, that God, you would open my heart to them. And to help you with that, we also have this box inside the outline of an opportunity to say, I want to write down these names. I don't want this to be some theoretical thing that I sort of think about and get around to someday. Like Peter specifically going to Cornelius Maybe God is asking you to get up and go to that person, to love them like Jesus, regardless of the differences that may be present, the barriers that you may have to overcome. Just let the Christ that died for you love through you to them. So I invite you to come up here and put the name on there if you'd like to, and let's just worship together. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you that we can turn to you now that we come to you as a mighty God who has loved us dearly. There was none of us that was born that immediately loved you back. But God, in the course of our lives, each of us with a different storyline, you somehow have made that love known, and somebody probably loved us to love you. I pray that we would be those people that love others, that they would then love you as well. So guide us with wisdom. Give us the grace. Help us to overcome the barriers. Help us to be the people.